have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to or turn to with me, Nehemiah chapter 6 and 7. Uh, we've been in this study, this study, Nehemiah, going through the book of Nehemiah. We've been going chapter by chapter, and so you guys have been doing so well, like listening fast and keeping up. We're going to do two chapters this morning, so how's that? It is bonus weekend at, on Labor Day. And so we're, we're going to look at this subject. So the title of this message is just Overcoming Discouragement. Uh, how, do you, how do you overcome discouragement in your life? And so, you know, over the last three weeks, uh, we've been looking at, at just some relational things in the book of, of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is a narrative. Uh, in other words, it's a story, so we handle the text a little bit differently than we do of more of a didactic type sermon. And so, uh, but I still have some points for you this morning, so this is not a pointless sermon. And so... Uh, and so we've been looking at some relational things. And so we've been looking at overcoming opposition and how to handle the antagonist in your life. And then last week we looked at overcoming conflict, right? And we talked about healthy conflict. There's healthy conflict and unhealthy conflict. And so last week we talked about how to handle conflict in life and how to have those conversations to where people come together and they want to win-win. They look at ways that they can compromise. They own as own what is theirs to own. And so it's just healthy conflict. And that, that type of conflict can be resolved. But the scripture talks about another type of conflict. The scripture talks about two. The scripture talks about healthy conflict and unhealthy conflict and, and healthy criticism or unhealthy criticism. So healthy criticism, what the Bible tells us, is to where you're seeking truth. You're seeking information. You're, you're, you, it, it doesn't become personal. It's not an attack or anything like that. But it's just, it's, it's, just, it's just you're trying to help someone. You're trying to find truth and some of those other things. But unhealthy criticism. Listen, I get it, I get it. There, there's a small line between the two, right? Unhealthy criticism, or what the Bible referred to that as mockers. That a mocker is a person that ridicules, dehumanizes, makes things personal, uh, makes fun of you because of a belief or because of an action, talks down to you. Healthy criticism, healthy critics uh, build up. Unhealthy critis, critics want to tear down. And so when you look at Nehemiah, you realize that what discourages most of us is unhealthy criticism, right? That person that, that is around you or that group of people around you, they're kind of mocking you. They're making fun of you. They're ridiculing, ridiculing you because of maybe your faith, because of your beliefs, because of your actions, because of a decision. It's not healthy at all. And so they're, they're making fun of you. They're dehumanizing you. And this is what is happening to, to Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah dealt through with two types of criticism, one that was trying to build up to find truth, and another group that was trying to tear down, trying to destroy, or trying to get him to stop the, the work. And so Nehemiah was an amazing leader. Nehemiah understood the difference. And here's the interesting thing about this. Nehemiah handled these two types of critics or these two types of criticism differently. To the healthy criticism, he sat down with them, he had a conversation, they resolved it to the unhealthy, the unhealthy criticism. Those that were mocking him, those that were ridiculing him, those that were talking down to him, he never, he never really even responded to them. He never even really, because Nehemiah knew that, listen, with the mocker, it doesn't matter what you say. They're always going to find a problem with your action. They're always going to find a problem with how you said it, how you did it, what your decisions were. They're always going to ridicule you. They're always going to make fun of you. So Nehemiah understood that. And Nehemiah comes to this place to where all of a sudden the critics, unhealthy critics, started rising up. And so I just want to see, uh, show you this this morning. In a few minutes, I'll give you four things of, of how to respond to unhealthy critics. 
people around you, whether it's in your family, your workplace, your community, your circle of friends, to where you feel like that people are ridiculing you, making fun of you, and how do you handle that? So we're going to see how it starts out in Nehemiah's life. We're going to get to Nehemiah chapter 6, but before, one more time, we've got to just see where it originated from. So Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, here's what it said, when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall... He became furious. So it starts, this is so interesting. I want you to see this this morning. I'll give you a heads up. Mocking, criticism, unhealthy criticism always starts out with one, then it moves to four, then there were many. It spreads. And so it always starts out with one. And so watch this. When Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. Here's the word. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues, so with his friends. And they were powerful men of Samaria. And then he said, so now you get an insight of, of mocking. It's when you call people names. It's when you refer. And so he goes, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, so now Tobiah. Listen, mocking is contagious. If you're not careful, you will, that's why Psalm chapter 1, I think it's verses 1 through 4, you can read it for yourself, that God reminds us in the Psalms, very strong language, don't sit in the company of mockers because you will become a mocker. You will enter in with them. God has very, very strong language for that Christian, for that individual that is ridiculing, making fun of people, talking down to people. And then all of a sudden, Tobiah jumps in. Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said... Indeed, even if a fox climbed up uh, what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Now, this is like ridiculous, right? Because we've learned that the wall was nine feet thick. The wall, and I've seen the wall. I've touched the wall. I've been at the wall. And so this was just a ridiculous claim. And so he said, and so then then Nehemiah had a decision. How is he going to respond to this? Look at verse 4. Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had the will to keep working. So let me ask you a question this morning. When people mock you, when people make fun of you, when people ridicule you, when people dehumanize you, how do you respond? More importantly, how, how, do, you, how do you keep going? Because some of it can be very personal. This is personal. I mean, how do you, when people around you discourage you, how do you persevere? How do you just keep going? Because we're going to learn some things about Nehemiah. Listen, this wasn't an easy time for Nehemiah. But Nehemiah was a man of great character. He's a great man of great integrity. And there's much we can learn about him. People are making fun of him. People are ridiculing him. People are trying to discourage him. People use uh, personal attacks, and you just see it continue just to heighten in his life. Nehemiah chapter 5, look at this. Verse 16. Indeed, this is how he responded to it. Indeed, I devoted myself to the construction of this wall, and all my subordinates were gathered there for the work. We didn't buy any land. There were 150 Jews and officials, as well as guests from the surrounding nations at my table. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, some fowl were prepared for me, an abundance of all kinds of wine provided every 10 days. But I didn't demand the food allotted to the governor. You know what he's saying? I didn't do this for my benefit. 
You know, I, I came from Susa. I'm not even a Jew. I came from Susa because my heart was broken in the condition of Jerusalem. And I'm not even benefiting this. Watch this. Because the burden, this is why he did it, because the burden on the people was too heavy. Remember me favorably, my God, for all that I've done for this people. So he's like, you know what? I'm not doing it for my benefit. I'm doing it for their benefit. Man, I have liquidated everything. I have sacrificed for everything. I don't even have to do this. And yet they're attacking me. And yet there's all these personal attacks and there's this mocking and everything that's going on. So how do you keep going? How did Nehemiah keep going in the midst of mocking and ridicule? And so four things this morning. The first thing is this, and we're just going to use it critics. And when I use critics, I mean unhealthy critics, unhealthy attacks are mocking. And so the first thing is this. Critics will use people to discourage you. Critics will use people to just healthy criticism. Someone will come to you, have a conversation, trying to find truth, trying to find common ground, trying to find those other things. But you look at this, you realize it continually grows. I mean, the, the circle grows. Remember, it started out with one and it went to four. And then we're going to see it goes to many. And so critics will continue to grow in number. And we're going to read the text in Numbers chapter 6 in just a few minutes. And it says, and the rest of our enemies hurt. How did they hear? That's like someone coming up to you says, you know what, everybody agrees with me, you're a bad person. Everybody agrees. They're all saying, everybody agrees with me, you're wrong. Every, everyone is, everybody's going to leave. Everybody's mad at you. Everybody, listen, I've always wanted to meet everybody. <laughs> Who is everybody? You should ask that question. Who is everybody? Who is they? Listen, here's just a principle in resolving conflict. You can only resolve conflict with the people that are in the room with you. If someone tries to bring someone who is not into the room in your conversation, say, get them in here. Let, I, I can't deal with that. I can only deal with you and I. And this was Nehemiah. Nehemiah understood this. And so, so Nehemiah understood that, listen, let me tell you something. When, when, when someone is a mocker, you can con nothing you can ever say, they're ever going to agree that you're right. Because it's not to build up, it's to tear down, it's to ridicule, it's to make fun of. Nehemiah chapter 6, here we go into, ne into 6, and we'll go into 7, verses 1 and 2. When Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard, so now we know rumors are going around, I'd rebuilt the wall, and that no gap was left in it. Though at the time, I had not installed the doors in the city gates. Sambalat and Geshem sent me a message, come, let us meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. And they were planning to harm me. So, so this group of people are critical of Nehemiah. And, so, and, they're, and they're getting frustrated because regardless of what they say, regardless of the rumors they start, regardless of their ridicule, Nehemiah is this guy that just keeps doing what God has called him to. And they're frustrated. And so now they try to distract him by saying, you know what, we need to meet together. We need to meet together. Things are getting serious, and you're, you're in danger. We're going to try to help you. And so we need to meet together. We need to help you in Ono Valley. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah understands what's working. They have an ulterior motive. See, if, if the wall is rebuilt, they're the four most powerful kings in their, in their area, the north, the south, the east, the west. And they, they're going to they're gonna lose a lot of financial power, a lot of political power, and so now he, he understands what's going on. He understands that, listen, this isn't healthy criticism. Healthy criticism is to build up. Unhealthy criticism is to tear somebody down. And he, he understood that. And so, listen, let me tell you something. If, if, your, if your approval 
is found in people, you will go down to Ono Valley every time. If your approval is found in people, you will continually try to get unhealthy people, unhealthy criticism, mockers to agree with you, to say, you know what, I'm terribly wrong, you're exactly right. That's why the scripture says, just real, just real quickly, that's why Paul said in, in, in the New Testament that we're to avoid foolish controversies and we're to avoid foolish or, or godless chatter. They were to avoid those types of things because it, it doesn't build up. It just continually tears down. Here's the interesting thing about Nehemiah, and you're going to see this. That Nehemiah was this man that believed so much in God and his trust in God, and God was going to make him successful. When he was mocked, he didn't mock in return. When he was ridiculed, he didn't ridicule in return. He never stooped. He never stooped. He never got down on their level. He continued to rise above it. The second thing is this. Critics never travel alone. You ever notice that? It may start out with one healthy criticism. When you hurt someone, they'll come, Matthew 18, they'll come sit down with you and say, hey, can we talk about this? But all of a sudden, you just see these rumors start, and critics never, never travel alone. I mean, starts with one and goes to four, and then now it's like everybody hurt. And so Nehemiah held, had the ability to discern what was going on. You have to ask yourself, well, how did he do that? And what the Scripture says, he did it through prayer. Nehemiah actually prayed longer for rebuilding the wall than it took him to physically rebuild the wall. I mean, when you just you can you can read the text for yourself, you can read the verses for yourself. And so Nehemiah was his man of prayer. Philippians tell us this. Paul writes about this issue of prayer, verses uh, chapter one, verse eight. For God is my witness, how deeply I missed all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this. So this is what he's praying for, like his family. It's a great prayer to pray for family. I mean, it's a great prayer to pray for your church. It's a great prayer to pray for your friends. I miss all of you with the affection of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in the knowledge and every kind of discernment. That you can discern in your life what is best. You can discern in your life what is good. And this is Nehemiah. Nehemiah had discernment, verse 10. So that you may approve these things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Listen, if you're, listen, if you're going to be successful in life, <coughs> especially in criticism, you're going to have to be able to have discernment. You're, some of the toughest decisions that we have as Christians is determining what is good and what is best. What is good and what God has for me. Those are some of the difficult things that we have to discern out in the Christian life. And so verse 3, Nehemiah chapter 6, he said, So I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing an important work. So now you're going to see how he responds to mockers. I am doing an important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down and, and to you? In other words, listen, we're not going to resolve anything. This isn't for my building up. This is for my tearing down. It doesn't matter what I'm going to say to you. We're not going to resolve this because we know in healthy criticism, Nehemiah got off the wall for the healthy criticism, right? Because he knew he could resolve it. He knew it was done with integrity. And he's not going to allow himself to get distracted on what God had called him to do. And so, listen, if you're going to say no to unhealthy criticism, if you're going to say no to mockers that may be around you, that are ridiculing you, then you have to come to this place to understand that my hope and my trust is in God. 
and that I can say no. My approval isn't in what the mockers say about me. My approval isn't in all this criticism. My approval is not in people. My approval is in him. And so look at this, verse 4. Four times they sent me the same proposal, and I gave them the same reply. How many of you know these people? They have the same criticism. They have the same things they say about you. You say the exact same things over and over and over. You try to explain it. This group of people, they show up in your email box, right? They follow you around in life. They may follow you around at the home. They may follow you around at the office. They may follow you around in the community. And no matter what you say, no matter how you respond, they say the same thing. You say the same thing. They say the same thing. You, and it just like never ends. It never gets resolved. See, Nehemiah understood in unhealthy criticism, nothing ever gets resolved. Because it's not for the building up, it's for the tearing down. Because there's some ulterior motives going on. And many of you, listen, Nehemiah was amazing. It just just doesn't end here. But this is like the fourth time, right? This is like the fourth time. Now listen, many of us, that if we're not careful with with unhealthy criticism, that we keep getting criticized by the same people over and over and over, and finally they 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 just wear us down. And if we're not careful, we just give up. We just give up. But not Nehemiah. Nehemiah came, just continued because Nehemiah didn't live his life out of guilt. He lived his life out of conviction about what God had called him to do, about the beliefs, about the scriptures, about what he was doing. Nehemiah didn't give in to criticism because Nehemiah understood, listen, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing what God has called me, God has called me to do. Listen, if, if, you, if, you, if you live your life by guilt... You will go down to Ono Valley every time. And you won't have one conversation. You won't have four conversations. You'll have hundreds of conversations. Believe in a false belief that just one more conversation will resolve. Just one more conversation, they'll see it my way. The third thing is this. Critics will use rumors to disgrace you. They'll use rumors to discourage you. They'll use rumors to disgrace you. And, it says, and so now you see they moved to, to disgrace Nehemiah publicly. Before this, it was kind of between the one, then the four, then, then, then a few. And so they, they want to get him away from his, his, his mission. And so you know what they do? It's crazy. Still, still happens in our time as well. We just do it electronically. They send him an open letter with their accusations with their rumors that looks like facts. And so they, the way they would do it in their time is much different than how we would do it in our time. They would just send a, what is called an unsealed letter. See, what would happen is, is in their time, they would write a letter and they would seal it so that nobody could, like, read it. But if they, if they wanted to send a letter and they wanted, like, everybody to, like, read it before Nehemiah gets to read it because now they have a, it's, it's like an unfair advantage. You know what they do? They, they send it unsealed. Because they know that, guess what, guess what? Everybody's going to read it before it gets to Nehemiah. And so in our times, we may, we may send an email and blind copy a bunch of people so that the, the recipient does not know who's reading it. We may do something on social media so that, you know what, so that everybody knows the rumors and everybody knows the mocking and some of those other things. Verse 5. Sanballat sent me this message a fifth time by his aid. These guys literally will not quit who had an open letter in his hand. And then verse 6, Nehemiah chapter 6, And it was written, and it was reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees that you and the Jews plan to rebel. 
This is the reason you're rebuilding the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king. Have you ever noticed how a lot of times people will make rumors sound official? It is reported. It is written. It is said. You know, you have to ask yourself when someone says it is written, it is reported, by whom? I mean, who said it? Who reported it? Because listen, just so you know this, every rumor has a source. And that source is important. This is the, the, the rumor is, is that Nehemiah, you want to become a king. And listen, let's just stop right here. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. See, in their time, if the king of Judah was to, uh, was to either get frightened or, or think that, that Nehemiah is going to become a king, guess what? The king of Judah could have Nehemiah put to death. It could, I mean, this is serious. These are serious allegations. These are not easy allegations. These are not light allegations. I mean, when you look at this, you realize these rumors are going around that if someone believed it, Nehemiah would have a lot to lose. And so they make it sound official. It is written. It is reported. And so, but, but, but every rumor has a source. And every rumor, listen, every rumor has a motive. Nehemiah understood their motive. Their motive was to intimidate him, to get him to stop the work. Verse 7. And and have even sent, set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf. So now they're saying, you know what? You not only want to become king, you're putting the people around you. You're putting the prophets around you to make this happen. There is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. So let's confer together. So he wouldn't go to Ono Valley the first time. He wouldn't go the second time. And so now they're saying, you know what? If the king of Judah finds out about this and what you're doing, guess what? It could mean death. And, but no worries. No worries, Nehemiah. We're here to help you. Why don't you just come down to Ono Valley and let's, let's meet together? Because there is like, there's like a groundswell that is happening. And everybody believes this. And everybody is mad. And everybody understands your motives. But Nehemiah, we want you to know we're, we're here to help you. Nehemiah doesn't play their games. In verse 8, then I replied to them, there is nothing to these rumors you're spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. So every rumor has a source, and Nehemiah says, you know what the source is? It's you. You're the source of the rumor. This, 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 this has no basis. Now, here's the interesting thing of how Nehemiah handles rumors and how we should handle rumors. Nehemiah handles the rumors by not, not explaining to them his side. And say, hey, by the way, I've got a letter from the king, and, and he's, he's authorized me to do this. And as soon as this is over, I have a leave of absence. As soon as this is over, I'm going to go back. Because Nehemiah knew that, you know what, if I tell them all of that, they're going to use my words against me. And so the way you and I are to handle, listen, the way you and I are to handle rumors is direct, clear, and simple. Direct, clear, and brief. In other words, Nehemiah says, you know what the source of the rumors are? It's you. There is no basis for these rumors. You must be making this up in your mind. He's saying, listen, i got to tell you, this is not even reality. And so I would encourage you, never believe anything until you know the source. Rumors are always, when you look at rumors, they're always filled with exaggerations. Everyone is upset. Everyone is mad at you. Everyone believes the way I do. Everybody's going to walk away from you. When you hear those words, you know that, that this, is, this is an exaggeration. Now, listen, the, the interesting thing in all criticism, in all criticism, there's a little bit of truth. And sometimes our job is, 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 to, is to find the little bit of truth in the criticism. But rumors, when you just look at this and when we study, rumors are driven out of fear. Rumors are driven out of fear that, that somebody's going to lose something. 
Fear of something. And, and Nehemiah, listen, Nehemiah it, it exposes their, their motives because they're about ready to lose power. Verse, verse 9. And they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. And Nehemiah does not chase the rumors. He allows rumors to die on their own. A lot of times, rumors will die on their own if we don't keep feeding them, if we don't keep responding to them, if we don't keep giving them more and more information. And so when you look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah just simply said, you know what, there's no basis for this. My trust is in God. I know my motives. I know my actions. And there is no truth to this. And then when you look at this, you, you see that Nehemiah comes to his place and he pray, plays for, prays for strength. He says, because those, those rumors, those attacks were meant to discourage him. And Nehemiah, is, listen, Nehemiah is doing a great work. But he has an enemy. And the enemy wants to stop the work of God. And listen, let me tell you something. Many of you have a great work. And you have an enemy that wants to stop the work of God in your life and discourage you and just bring you to the point, listen, just bring you to the point that you just want to give up and you just want to quit. Nehemiah was this guy that never forgot that, guess what, I belong to God. That's why it was so important to me in communion like this morning, just to remind us that, guess what, you belong to him. And because of that, our trust is in him. You, you belong you belong to him, and you not only belong to him, you belong to this faith community. And that's what Nehemiah helped them to understand. The fourth and the last thing is this, is equally as important. But critics will make it sound spiritual to, to, to discourage you. Critics will like, they'll like throw some scripture around. They'll use the God card. And, 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 and critics will try to, try to make it sound spiritual. And you've got, you got to be spiritually discerning. Just because something sounds spiritual doesn't mean it is spiritual. Just because something sounds or someone claims that it is from God doesn't mean it's from God. Look at this, verse, verse 10. And I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, and, and the son of Metabel who was restricted to his house and said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. Now, this is crazy. And we've got to understand this because a lot of people, you read over this text and you, you gloss over it and you don't realize the implications. of this. Now, let's back up. Remember that, that Nehemiah's enemies were wanting to meet together. Nehemiah always said no. Why? He didn't trust them. He didn't trust their motives. So he says, no, I can't get off the wall because the, the work is too great for me. Now, all of a sudden, this guy says, let's meet together. And Nehemiah goes to his house and said, I'll meet with you. And so a lot of theologians, listen, this last week, I did a lot of research into this. And Nehemiah paid... Um, a lot of detail or a lot of attention who this person was. Most theologians believe, because there's not a lot of information about this, this person, the house that he went to, most theologians believe, oh, this is a friend of his. He's going to go to his house. He's going to meet with him. This is, this is a close friend. He knew his mom. He knew his dad. He knew the son. This is a family friend. And so Nehemiah comes to this place, and you're going to see the grit of, of his leadership, the grit of who Nehemiah was. And so Nehemiah goes and meets with him. And then the man says, you know what? We need to go. Let's go down to the church and meet. Look at this. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. All of a sudden, Nehemiah understood. He had believed the rumors. Nehemiah had been betrayed. 
Nehemiah had been betrayed by a friend. How many of you at this point would say, I'm done? I'm done. I just got betrayed by a friend. It, w- it was kind of funny when I had some critics and they were saying if a fox ran on the wall, it'd, 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 it'd fall over because we all knew it was nine foot thick or nine feet thick. And we, we knew that. That was kind of funny. It was kind of funny, some of their ridiculous claims, but now they got to a friend. Can I tell you, this is the reason why a lot of people don't have close personal friends is because you've been betrayed. Can I tell you, this is why a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders don't have really, really close friends because they've been betrayed. There's come a point when a close friend, a close relationship, believed the rumors, believed what was being said. And that's what keeps a lot of us from having close friends. And so look at this. And this is how Nehemiah responds, verse 11. But I said, should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. So, so we need to understand what is, what, is, what is going on here. Nehemiah 1 says, I, one, he says, I'm not going to run away. God gave me this task, not you. And so I, I, I'm not running away. But he said the other thing is, is and you know this, if I was go, to go into the temple, the priest isn't there. That would be, by Old Testament law, that would be considered sin. And so now, all of a sudden, you guys could now discredit me? You could say, see there, there's sin in Nehemiah's life. Sin, uh, Nehemiah went in the temple with that we, everything we've been saying. So you know what you guys are doing? You're trying to lead me into sin. And so you're trying to discredit me. This had to be heartbreaking to Nehemiah. Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him. Because of the prophecy he spoke against me, Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Tobiah and Sambalat had paid him off. They had gotten to him. There will pe- Listen, there will be people in your life to try to make it sound spiritual and throw some verses around. And God wants you to do this, or God sent me to tell you to do this. God, and Nehemiah knew, guess what? God had not sent him because you're asking me to send. Verse 13. He was hired so that I would be intimidated. Do as he suggested, sin, and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. Listen, critics will always try to give you fear. Critics will always try to intimidate you by ridiculing you and making fun of you. Verse 14, my God, remember Tobiah, this is prayer, and Sambalat for what they have done. And also the, prophets, the, the prophetess Nodiah and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. So Nehemiah is like courageous and he prays and, and, and the, wall, the wall is rebuilt, verse 14, verse 15. And then, then Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16, I'm going to read that verse. And, and here's what it said. It says, when all the people heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence. For they realized that this task had been accomplished by God. Now you would think, guess what? You would think at this point, all the other nations say, only God. Only God could have done this. That in his critics would have joined in and said, you know what? We're so sorry we ridiculed you. We're so sorry we made fun of you. Obviously, God's hand is on you. God's blessing is on you. And you look at Nehemiah and, and his critics. Well, look, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 19. The nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me. So it's interesting. He had a good reputation in the community. And they reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Unhealthy critics will never be satisfied. You would think they would finally come to the place, you were right, we were wrong, and they didn't do it. 
Nehemiah knew, and I've read this, I've read this book over and over and over, and, and here's the secret, I think, to Nehemiah. Nehemiah knew the shalom of God, the peace of God. Many of you have asked me a question as far as why a number of months ago did I start reading the priestly blessing, the Lord protect you, the Lord bless you. Why did I start reading that at the close of, of every service? And, and, and I'll just I'll answer it this way, because I think we need to be reminded like Nehemiah that our blessing comes from the Lord. With everything that's going on in our culture, everything that's going on in our world, if we're not careful, we can put our trust in things other than God and our hope other than God. And we need to be reminded, I'm coming to the place, we need to be reminded weekly that guess what? Our blessings doesn't come from anything else or anyone else other than God. And here's the priestly blessing. I'm going to explain it and then we'll close. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. This priestly blessing is talking about the shalom of God, the, the peace of God. It's a reminder to us three different times that guess what? You want to know who blesses you? The Lord blesses you. You want to know who protects you? The Lord protects you. You, know, you want to know who gives you peace? The Lord gives you peace. You want to know who gives you grace? The Lord gives you peace. Three different times it says the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And here's the interesting thing about that. It's, it's the word for the Lord is used in the Hebrew is Jehovah. Jehovah is the most personal name of God. It literally means this. You have a personal relationship with him. He is with you. And it means literally, I, speaking of the Lord, I will protect you. I will bless you. I will give you peace. I will give you grace. It's, this, it's the shalom or it's the, the blessing of God is like the peace of God is like knowing you have a face-to-face -face relationship with God, that you have a personal relationship with God. And then he uses this phrase that probably a lot of us when we hear it, we don't really know what it means. And it says, the Lord will make his face shine on you and the Lord will be gracious to you. And I just tell you this, you know what the scripture says? It says, or that what that line says, when the Lord looks at you, his face shines on you. You ever seen someone that when they see someone else, it's like their face lights up? I think of it every time that I do a wedding. And I know when the bride enters the room and everybody stands, everybody wants to look at the bride, not me. I look at the groom. One, to make sure he's not going to pass out on me. Because I've had that happen a lot. I don't know why that is. It's always the groom that goes. <laughs> but the other reason is because I like to see his face when he sees his bride for the first time. And I've watched them. It, it almost takes their breath away. Or it's when they break and they kind of tear up and they realize. But I also like to see her face, and, and her face seems to light up. You ever been in a wedding to where it's like they don't even know anybody else is in the room, right? I mean, because their face literally lights up because that person, that person is in the room. It can happen to a parent, right, when you look on your ch at your child for the first time when they've been born. And it's like your face just lights up and you just grin like ear to ear. It can happen with a grandparent, right, when they see their grandchild for the first time. I said that I would never be one of those grandparents, and now I am. I got thousands of pictures on my phone of all my grandkids. My grandkids are the greatest ever, and you should think your, kid, your grandkids are the greatest ever as well. Can I just tell you this? 
When God looks on you, he doesn't look on you with disgrace, with embarrassment, with judgment. You know what what the priestly blessing is saying? When the Lord looks at you, his face lights up. He takes delight in you. You You belong to him. You belong. You belong to him. See, this is why Nehemiah. This is why the mockers and the critics that are around him, this is why they didn't face him. Because he knew who he belonged to. He knew that, guess what? The Lord will protect me. The Lord is the one who blesses me. The Lord's face will shine on me. And the Lord is the one who gives me peace. My prayer is this morning you would know that. And you would know that in a very personal way. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?